Section sixteen of A Lear of the Steps, etc., by Ivan Turgenev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Faust, sixth letter. From the same to the same. M. Village, August tenth, eighteen fifty. Confess you are expecting a letter from me of despair or of rapture. Nothing of the sort. My letter will be like any other letter. Nothing new has happened, and nothing, I imagine, possibly can happen. The other day we went out in a boat on the lake. I will tell you about this boating expedition. We were three, she, Schimmel, and I. I don't know what induces her to invite the old fellow so often. The H's, I hear, are annoyed with him for neglecting his lessons. This time, though, he was entertaining. Priemkov did not come with us he had a headache. The weather was splendid, brilliant. Great white clouds that seemed torn to shreds over a blue sky, everywhere glitter, a rustle in the trees, the plash and lapping of water on the bank, running coils of gold on the waves, freshness and light. At first the German and I rowed, then we hoisted a sail and flew before the wind. The boat's bow almost dipped in the water, and a constant hissing and foaming followed the helm. She sat at the rudder and steered. She tied a kerchief over her head. She could not have kept a hat on, her curls strayed from under it, and fluttered in the air. She held the rudder firmly in her little sunburnt hand, and smiled at the spray which flew at times in her face. I was curled up at the bottom of the boat, not far from her feet. The German brought out a pipe, smoked his shag, and only fancy began singing in a rather pleasing bass. First he sang the old-fashioned song, Freut euch des Lebens, then an air from The Magic Flute, then a song called the ABC of Love. In this song all the letters of the alphabet, with additions of course, are sung through in order, beginning with A, B, C, D, wenn ich dich sehe, and ending with U V W X mach einen knicks. He sang all the couplets with much expression, but you should have seen how silly he winked with his left eye at the word knicks. Vera laughed and shook her finger at him. I observed that, as far as I could judge, Mr. Schimmel had been a redoubtable fellow in his day. Oh, yes, I could take my own part, he rejoined with dignity and he knocked the ash out of his pipe on to his open hand, and with a knowing air held the mouthpiece on one side in his teeth, while he felt in the tobacco-pouch. "'When I was a student,' he added, "'Oh, oh, He said nothing more. But what an oh, oh, oh it was! Vera begged him to sing some student's song, and he sang her Knaster den Geben, but broke down on the last note. Altogether he was quite jovial and expansive. Meanwhile the wind had blown up, the waves began to be rather large, and the boat heeled a little over on one side. Swallows began flitting above the water all about us. We made the sail loose and began to tack about. The wind suddenly blew a cross-squall, we had not time to right the sail, a wave splashed over the boat's edge and flung a lot of water into the boat and now the German proved himself a man of spirit. He snatched the cord from me, and set the sail right, saying as he did so, So macht man in Cuxhaven. Vera was most likely frightened, for she turned pale. 
but as her way is, she did not utter a word, but picked up her skirt, and put her feet upon the cross-piece of the boat. I was suddenly reminded of the poem of Goethe's. I have been simply steeped in him for some time past. You remember? On the waves glitter a thousand dancing stars, and I repeated it aloud. When I reached the line, My eyes, why do you look down? She slightly raised her eyes. I was sitting lower than she. Her gaze had rested on me from above. And looked a long while away into the distance, screwing up her eyes from the wind. A light rain came on in an instant, and pattered, making bubbles on the water. I offered her my overcoat. She put it over her shoulders. We got to the bank, not at the landing-place, and walked home. I gave her my arm. I kept feeling that I wanted to tell her something, but I did not speak. I asked her, though, I remember, why she always sat, when she was at home, under the portrait of Madame Eltsov like a little bird under its mother's wing. "'Your comparison is a very true one,' she responded. "'I never want to come out from under her wing. "'Shouldn't you like to come out into freedom?' I asked again. She made no answer. I don't know why I have described this expedition, perhaps because it has remained in my memory as one of the brightest events of the past days, though, in reality, how can one call it an event?' I had such a sense of comfort and unspeakable gladness of heart, and tears, light, happy tears, were on the point of bursting from my eyes. Oh, fancy! The next day, as I was walking in the garden by the arbour, I suddenly heard a pleasing, musical, woman's voice singing, Freud euch des Lebens. I glanced into the arbour. It was Vera. Bravo! I cried. I didn't know you had such a splendid voice." She was rather abashed, and did not speak. Joking apart, she has a fine strong soprano. And I do believe she has never even suspected that she has a good voice. What treasures of untouched wealth lie hid in her! She does not know herself. But am I not right in saying such a woman is a rarity in our time? August 12 we had a very strange conversation yesterday. We touched first upon apparitions. Fancy, she believes in them, and says she has her own reasons for it. Priemkov, who was sitting there, dropped his eyes, and shook his head, as though in confirmation of her words. I began questioning her, but soon noticed that this conversation was disagreeable to her. We began talking of imagination, of the power of imagination. I told them that in my youth I used to dream a great deal about happiness, the common occupation of people who have not had or are not having good luck in life. Among other dreams I used to brood over the bliss it would be to spend a few weeks with the woman I loved in Venice. I so often mused over this, especially at night, that gradually there grew up in my head a whole picture, which I could call up at will. I had only to close my eyes. This is what I imagined. Night, a moon, the moonlight white and soft. A scent. Of lemon, do you suppose? No. Of vanilla. A scent of cactus. A wide expanse of water. A flat island overgrown with olives. On the island, at the edge of the shore, a small marble house, with open windows. Music audible, coming from I know not where. 
in the house trees with dark leaves and the light of a half-shaded lamp from one window a heavy velvet cloak with gold fringe hangs out with one end falling in the water and with their arms on the cloak sit he and she gazing into the distance where venice can be seen all this rose as clearly before my mind as though i had seen it all with my own eyes she listened to my nonsense and said that she too often dreamed but that her day-dreams were of a different sort she fancied herself in the deserts of africa with some explorer or seeking the traces of franklin in the frozen arctic ocean she vividly imagined all the hardships she had to endure all the difficulties she had to contend with you have read a lot of travels observed her husband perhaps she responded but if one must dream why need one dream of the unattainable and why not i retorted why is the poor unattainable to be condemned i did not say that she said i meant to say what need is there to dream of oneself of one's own happiness it's useless thinking of that it does not come why pursue it it is like health when you don't think of it it means that it's there these words astonished me there's a great soul in this woman believe me from venice the conversation passed to italy to the italians priemkov went away vera and i were left alone you have italian blood in your veins too i observed yes she responded shall i show you the portrait of my grandmother please do she went to her own sitting-room and brought out a rather large gold locket opening this locket i saw excellently painted miniature portraits of madame eltsov's father and his wife the peasant woman from albano vera's grandfather struck me by his likeness to his daughter only his features set in a white cloud of powder seemed even more severe sharp and hard and in his little yellow eyes there was a gleam of a sort of sullen obstinacy but what a face the italian woman had voluptuous open like a full-blown rose with prominent large liquid eyes and complacently smiling red lips her delicate sensual nostrils seemed dilating and quivering as after recent kisses the dark cheeks seemed fragrant of glowing heat and health the luxuriance of youth and womanly power that brow had never done any thinking and thank god she had been depicted in her albanian dress the artist a master had put a vine in her hair which was black as pitch with bright grey highlights this bacchic ornament was in marvellous keeping with the expression of her face and do you know of whom the face reminded me my manon lescaut in the black frame and what is most wonderful of all as i looked at the portrait i recalled that in vera too in spite of the utter dissimilarity of the features there is at times a gleam of something like that smile that look yes i tell you again neither she herself nor anyone else in the world knows as yet all that is latent in her by the way madame eltsov before her daughter's marriage told her all her life her mother's death and so on probably with a view to her edification what specially affected vera was what she heard about her grandfather the mysterious ladinov isn't it owing to that that she believes in apparitions 
It's strange. She is so pure and bright herself, and yet is afraid of everything dark and underground, and believes in it. But enough. Why write all this? However, as it is written, it may be sent off to you. Yours, P. B. End of section 16